Hi, welcome to our Hot Rod Bible Study. So tonight we're going to be in the book of Jude. Tonight we're going to be doing verses uh, 9 through 16 tonight. Um, as we've been uh, marching towards the book of Revelation, uh, one of the things that uh, I, I, my, my plans were, my personal plans were to get into the book of Jude and just kind of split it in half and, and do the first, you know, 12, 13 verses and then split it and go the, the next and then we could get into the book of Revelation. But what's so amazing about the book of Jude is I, I want to share with you guys that I actually kind of overlooked some of the things in Jude as I read through it. And, and if you look at it, if you at first read, if you if you uh, look at the book of Jude, it, it has a lot of things in there, but you kind of look past some of them. But as you start to partake of God's word and start to dig into some of the stuff that's in there, um, you're going to see that it's going to be an amazing study. And so tonight I've kind of broken it into only uh, nine verses tonight. And so we'll go through it tonight, eight verses tonight. And we'll go through it tonight, and we'll see what the, the Lord has for us tonight. And so before we get started tonight, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. So Father God, we, uh, we lift up the study to you tonight, Lord. And Lord, once again, we come to you, Lord, humbly, Lord. And we ask, Father, that you would give us a wisdom tonight, Father. Help us to partake of your word tonight. As you bring it, may our hearts be open to hear from you, Lord. Uh, we want to we be changed tonight, Lord. Each and every one of us, Lord, have gathered here tonight, Father, to sit at your feet and learn from you tonight. Allow your Holy Spirit to come here, Lord, and to teach us. It would give us clarity in your word tonight, Father. Um, we ask all of these things, and we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'll start here in uh, verse, um, we'll start in verse 9, and I'll read it through verse 16, and then we'll go back. And so it says, uh, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, went... He disputed about the body of Moses, dare not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam, for profit and perish in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. And so as we've been studying here through the book of Jude, you know, as last week as we got into the book of Jude, one of the things that um, became very clear and as we see the half brother of Jesus Christ himself we see Jude and, and we we talked a little bit about his name last week we talked about 
um, that Judas was his name and, and possibly uh, why in the Gospels they, they, they put it in the English Jude instead of leaving it in the original Judas. And we all talked about this, that his name was tarnished. We all know this very clearly through the scriptures. We know that by Judas Iscariot, that his name had been tarnished. And so this is the reason why we get the word Jude and his name being Judas uh, in this uh, certain section of scripture. And we got last week, we drew out of last week, we saw that we went to certain parts of the scriptures that spoke about Jesus as he named um, Jesus's brothers. And we named actually that his sisters, actually, they weren't by name, but it said that Jesus had sisters. And I know um, much of this goes against the traditional church that they oftentimes say that, that Mary, um, the virgin, that never had any children after Jesus. But we say that scriptures um, does not say that that is not so. And we talked a little bit about it, that the original, uh, the, in the original Greek, that the word that they use for brothers is the word brothers that is in the scriptures, that it is the word brothers. And so I, drove, I took you to a, a portion of Colossians that spoke of the word in the original Greek was for cousins, which many of the traditional church says that these were relatives of Jesus Christ, not actually their brothers and sisters. But we see in the original language, they use a different word. And so it would have been in the original word. So we see that this Jude is believed to be the brother of also of uh, the half brother of Jesus Christ, but also the brother of, as we see the book of James, right, that they are brothers of the same family and mentioned them there. But as we went last week and we got into the study last week, one of the key verses, and it is the key verse for the whole chapter, is verse 3. And it told us to contend for the faith. And it was contending for the faith of Jesus Christ. And it went along talking about these apostates that came into the church, that they were misleading the people, and they were people from within the church. And we're going to we're going to see a little bit about this tonight. And it talked about them there. It said that they had actually crept in unnoticed, ungodly men. And so these men didn't come in and they didn't have name tags. Or when they knock on your door on Saturday morning, they don't have a name tag that says, hey, I'm a false teacher. I'm here to mislead you. No, they're, they, are, they come in incognito. They come in and they actually in stealth mode and they come to mislead us. And this is what... The book of Jude is actually warning us against that we need to be aware of these apostates. And we're going to get into a little bit about some of the warnings that he spoke about. But one of the things that I thought was amazing that he shared with us, um, and, and I wanted to, that he shared with us some of three examples of, and we're going to get into that. But one of the things I wanted to say, these apostates, um, if you didn't know, these aren't people that maybe were backslidden in the church. These are people that come to church and they profess to know Christ and they profess to be a believer, but they do not possess the the actual the grace and they do not possess the the gift of God that they go out and they have not partaken of God. And so they they go into the church and so they they decide to take things out of the word of God and they want to use them for their benefit and they want to draw people to themselves. And this is what the book of Jude is going to speak to us about tonight. But one of the things that say those three examples that it gave Remember that he gave about the children of Israel as they walked in the wilderness for 40 years. It was because in their hearts they did not believe the promises of God. As he had given them a land flowing with milk and honey. And we remember that he sent the 12 spies that they went into the promised land. And they came back with the two spies came back with a good report. And 10 of them came back with the bad report. And they decided to believe the bad report. And because of that, 
they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. It's so amazing because in my life, I have been, at times in my life, before I came to know Christ, I had been walking in other areas. And, and what's so amazing about this is that we see that it was an 11-day journey. And, and I love that Josh, he, he, in his thought process, he's a very deep thinker. And he thought in his, in his thought process that he said that the children of Israel, he, he uh, got a number like 3 million people that at this time that were there. And he said if you would have lined them up uh, hand to wrist, hand to wrist, that they probably would have reached this span and they could have reached the promised land. But it's just, it's reassuring to me that oftentimes I think that in my life, oftentimes God has laid out a plan for my life. And oftentimes I think I know more than God. And I think I, I want to go down this path or I want to go down that path. And you know what? The Lord, he loves me so much that he says, okay, Mike, I have prepared the best path for you. But if you want to go down that road, go ahead. <laughs> he doesn't stop me. He allows me to go down that road because the Lord knows exactly where that road leads. And, and this is what's so amazing. And as Pastor Ed spoke about this on Sunday, that he talked about the chess player that could think a hundred moves ahead of, and he said, hey, in the chess game, that he could think a hundred moves ahead. If I move this, this pawn here, that, that he's going to react with this. And then this, I'm going to have to react with this. He's already thinking a hundred. The Lord is way ahead of all of us. He knows our whole life laid out. But he lays out this plan for our lives. But oftentimes in my rebellion and oftentimes in my ignorance, I think I know better. But truthfully, only God knows what it is. And so this is why the scriptures, we should come to the scriptures and seek God all the time. And so those were the children of Israel. We heard of the angels who rebelled with Satan and there will be judgment for that great day. We heard about Sodom and Gomorrah and I thought it was current uh, for what is going on today, because we know that Sodom and Gomorrah, what was going on there was homosexuality was going on. There was a lot of things going on. And this is the reason why God sent down fire and brimstone. And we all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But one of the things as um, we were speaking about the apostates last week that I wanted to share with you before we get into the study tonight. And this comes from Acts 20. Uh, I'm just going to read uh, verses 28 and 30. Um, and it speaks about them. And, and I, I, we want it's warning us as well. And it's here, it says, therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And this word overseers that it uses it is the word used for pastors or for deacons. All right. It's the word that they use. And it says to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It says, for I know that um, after my departure, savage wolves would come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. And so we see that we see here in the book of Acts that Paul is talking clearly that as he is writing this section of scripture, that he is talking about these men will come and they will draw people away and they will draw them to, to come after themselves. And we see that today as we don't need to go to past the television and we see these TV evangelists that we see that they have this charisma. And, and, and you know, I, I love the way that one commentator spoke about them, that they walk around up on the, on the uh, podium there. They walk around like they're on the stage. They walk around like they're peacocks. They're so filled with righteousness. And it, they have this righteous indignation. But the thing that they don't understand, it is Christ, that they are to portray Christ. It is not to be on the, on the shepherds. The shepherds are to shepherd to feed the flock. First um, Timothy 4.1 also says that, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And so we see that Paul has warned us 
Here we see that Peter in 2 Peter has warned us of these apostates, of these apostates of people that would lead us astray. We see John in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John has also spoken to us, warned us of these apostates. And now we're going to get into the book of Jude, who is warning us of these apostates that are coming through the church. And so I, I, we'll get into that tonight. And before we get into it tonight, though, I'd like to share a, a short little story with you. This one's really a brief one. And so we have a, a group of students um, that were there, and they were going to Harvard, Harvard University. And, and there was a, a group of students, and there was a, the professor. Um, his name was um, Professor it was Angasi was his name, and he is a zoologist. Um, he has been in his profession for quite some time, and so he's got a group of students in his class, and they have made a decision that they're going to try to fool the teacher, and they're going to try to fool and see if this professor is who he says he is. And so they decide after they get the, some of the best students from, the, uh, from the, the class, and they get together after hours, and they decide that they're going to put together an insect, and they're going to take parts from different insects and they're going to put them together, fuse them together in such a way that it looks like a real, a real insect that it's actually, and they're going to bring it before the professor. And so they go painstakingly through this process of putting these parts together, and they, they come up with this insect, and they, they look at it under a microscope, and they want to make sure that they cannot tell that they have been fused together. And so they go through all this trouble, and they bring it before the professor here at Harvard, at, at Harvard and they bring it, and they, so they bring it to him, and they said, uh, one day they brought it to him, and they said, we want you to be able to see if this, what species is this insect? And so he brings it over on the little lab, the little lab glass, and he brings it over to him, and he starts to take it, and he starts to look it over. And many of the students in the class, they start to chuckle, and they, underneath their breath, they're chuckling. They're saying, he's taking him so long to, to look at it, and he's looking at it so closely from so many different angles that we think that we have actually stumped the professor, that he's not going to know. And so it takes him about, you know, 30, 40 minutes, and he turns it and turns it, he looks at it so many different ways, and he finally says... I have a, I have, I know exactly what species this uh, insect is from, and so they're there with their pen and paper, waiting to see what he's going to say. Because if he says what species is from, they're going to say, "Well, this professor who is uh, world is world renowned, and, and they believe is a genius." They're going to, they're going to have a one, they want to one up on him. And this kind of reminded me a little bit about Jesus. That oftentimes that people try to one up Jesus, but he looked at it and he said, "I can tell you, I want to tell the class." gather them all together and so there was people as they were talking he brought them all together and i said they, he told them the whole story about how this insect had come to be and he wanted to know what kind of species it was and he says i have found exactly what species this but this insect comes from and he says it comes from it is called the humbug and, and they all looked at him for a minute there and, and they thought about it and they knew at that moment that they had not stumped this professor but one of the things that we see in this that we see that just like the word of God. This man had spent so much time in his profession dissecting, being involved in the species, the, his profession of what he was. When the uh, artificial came, no matter how good the counterfeit was, he was able to pick it out that it was a humbug, that it wasn't something that they had invented, that he, and this is just a word that he gave it. But we see in our uh, as we believe Christ and as we follow Christ, as we will be enamored with the word of God, if we will stay in the word of God, when somebody comes and they come knocking on our door on Saturday morning, when we they start to speak to us, we will say in our hearts, humbug, 
And we all talk about this because it is Pastor Ed that says that baloney meter will go straight to the top and we'll know. But one of the things that I, I, I thought that was so, uh, the reason why there's so many parallels in this story is that many times that people, they come and they knock on your door on Saturday morning. They do just like these students. They want to tear pieces of the Bible and fuse them together to make what they wanted to say they, this is the reason why they're coming to their door. And we need to be rooted in the Word of God so when they do come that we can see that this is somebody that's fusing the Word of God. And this is why it's so important as we go through the Bible, and it's so amazing that we as, uh, as we are you know, the, the packing house, as Pastor Ed had on his heart, that God has put on his heart, that he goes book by book. Precept upon precept, and he doesn't take anything out of context because the people that come on Saturday mornings, they take scripture out of context and they want it to mean and they want to draw us away from God. And this is the reason why it's so important for us to stay grounded in the word of God. And we're going to see that tonight. And so we'll get into here in verse nine. And so it says, yet Michael, the archangel in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. One of the things here is we see uh, Michael as he refers to him, the archangel. Um, it is very clear here that Michael is the only archangel. And I know many times I've heard in scripture that other people say, no, uh, Gabriel, he's an archangel. And the Bible does not speak of Gabriel being an archangel. It is Michael, the archangel. It is very clear here, Michael, the archangel. And one of the things that we, we understand about this, that I love about this, that Michael, his name, it means who is like God? This is what his name means, Michael. It means who is like God. And, and we see him in the Bible. He is in the book of Daniel. He's in um, chapter 10, verse 21. He's in the book of Daniel 12, 1. Here in Jude 1, 9. And he's also, we're going to see him in Revelation 12, 7. But we see that this Michael, as it, it speaks about this. And I know this story, as you hear this story tonight, as you hear about this angel that was contending with the devil. And many of us ask, I've never heard this story and if it wasn't for Jude, we probably would never know this story because this is what Jude has left here. The Holy Spirit had put it on the heart of Jude that he sees and he puts it here in Scripture. But it is nowhere else in Scripture. You can't cross-reference it. You can't look at it and say, well, when did this happen? When, when did this body um, happen? But man, one of the things that I wanted to say, um, one of the commentators that I thought was very um, what, what, what really spoke to me is that there's things that are in the Bible that oftentimes we never question. It, it's like um, in Acts 20, 35, that Paul said um, the words of Jesus, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And he said that Jesus said this, but it's not recorded anywhere in Scripture that Jesus said this. But one of the things that we see that his apostles and even Paul the apostle himself, as he was inspired by the word of God, that these were things that came upon him, that they, this was inspired word of God that is written here. And so we see these things that, and as they spent time with Jesus Christ, and, and we know that Paul, he was on the road to Damascus is when he had that encounter with Christ, but the Holy Spirit moved on him and had him, uh, as, as the scripture said, that had them right. And so scripture is not by any man. It is no by, by no one's interpretation. It is by the Holy Spirit. And so we see that there, but this story of Michael, the archangel, I wanted to share a little bit with you about one. Did you have something, Chris? No. No, I'm sorry. I thought you raised your hand. Uh, but uh, I wanted to share a little bit about this Michael the Archangel. It's an amazing uh, story. Um, but Deuteronomy 34.6 says, 
that no one knows his grave to this day. So when, when uh, you know, it was in Deuteronomy 34 when Moses died before he went into the promised land. And we remember that scripture says that Moses was allowed to see the promised land, but he was just not allowed to come into the promised land. And he died there in the last chapter of Deuteronomy 34. He died there. But one of the things that they said that when he died, that they buried him, that no one knew where his grave was. Uh, I love the way, and some of these are just, what commentators believe because we're, the scripture doesn't really tell us how this story came about or what actually happened here. But I love the one, the one of the commentators said that Satan wanted the body of Moses for a couple of reasons. And I, I thought that some of their insights is very, very interesting to me. And one of them was that maybe possibly they thought one commentator said that he thought that he wanted the body of Moses so he could take it and he could bury it somewhere and he could identify that this is where the body of Moses is buried. And the reason why Satan would want that is because he wanted people to come and to worship Moses at a place. He wanted him. And the reason why he, the, the enemy wants him to worship Moses at a place, because remember, the enemy wants each and every one of us to do not to worship Jesus and to, to draw away from Jesus. And so the commentator, I thought he was it was very interesting to me that he thought maybe possibly that this was the reason why that this uh, that he wanted and he fought for the body here as he as he uh, as he you know battled about the body here. But one of the other things that I thought was interesting, we all remember that the at the Mount of Transfiguration, we remember that it was Moses who appeared. And he represented the law, right? And we remember that it was Elijah who represented the prophets. Uh, but one of the things that I thought was so interesting as well is we know that the enemy knows scripture. And he knows that, as the Bible says, that in the end, that our bodies will be caught up to be in the air with Jesus. And he, uh, they think possibly, one of the commentators said that if he could obtain the body of Moses, that he could keep him from coming to the Mount of Transfiguration. And I know many of you probably chuckle and think, well, the enemy thinks that he can stop God. Well, this is what got him thrown out of heaven. This is the reason why he got him thrown out of heaven. If you've ever been to Israel, one of the things that I think it's amazing, too, that we see that the gate that they believe that Jesus is going to come through. If you've been there to Israel, they have actually blocked the wall. They've actually completed the wall where there was an opening before, and they've completed it. And on the other side of the wall, they actually placed a cemetery because they don't believe that they believe that, that, that these uh, the spirits, that Jesus would not come through it. And they one of the things that's so interesting to me, that the enemy is always constantly trying to block the things of God. And so this is what um, they possibly think, some of the, the commentators believe, that maybe possibly that this was one of the reasons. And one of the last things I want to leave with you, and, and I'll just give you a little tidbit about it, because as we get into the book of Revelation, I think it's going to be interesting, um, as they believe also that maybe possibly Moses is the witness in the book of Revelation. And so they, as they believe this possibly was another reason why Satan wanted the body of Jesus. And, and what, a, what, the, what they're really drawing to here in this particular verse, what they want us to see that even though Michael had the power and he was the archangel, he did not dispute with Satan over the body. He did not dispute. He said, the Lord rebuke you. And so as we see this, that as Michael the archangel, we oftentimes I've heard people say, oh, I bind Satan, that he, that you, this doesn't happen to us. So I bind Satan. We can only bind Satan in the power of the Lord. We, 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 ha we have to do it in his strength. We can't go up against the enemy and try to think that we can do it somehow in our strength. We need to do it in the strength of the Lord. We need to do it in the strength of the Lord. And this is what this verse is actually telling us here in verse 9. So as we get into verse 10, it says, But these speak evil of whatever they do uh, not know, 
and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, and these things, they corrupt themselves. I, I didn't uh, point it out in verse um, 8 when we got to it, but here it says, but these, as it refers to these, it is referring to the apostates, these people that are came into the church and their desire is to lead people away. And we see it very clearly here. In, it's also in verse 8. Remember it said, like also these dreamers, these, it's referring to these apostates, these dreamers, they defile the, the flesh and reject authority. I know as I, as I was thinking about this, preparing this study this week, one of the things as I saw came across again the word um, that they actually reject authority. And, and today in our day and age, in the, in the time that we live in today, and I don't know about you, but me as I grew up as a kid, I never thought that I would ever in my wildest imagination dreams that there would be people chanting on, in, the, in the city streets, uh, defund the police. Defund the police. And, and it's just crazy to think that we live in a time now that all of a sudden this authority, we want to we wanna reject this authority. And these authority have been placed by God. And, and the Bible talks about it very clearly that, that even, in the, in the, the, even in the politicians, the people have been appointed, that these have been appointed by God. But we see people, but I don't know about you, but I thank the Lord each and every day as I go to sleep at night. And I, yes, I do lock my doors. But I thank the Lord for the police, and I ask the Lord to look over them. And many of us as believers, we should as well, because we live in a country today that the police, the officers, people in authority, they're not looked at the same way. I remember as a kid growing up that when you saw a police officer, they, they carried a certain level of respect, and it didn't matter what they had done. or what. And, and, and there's good and bad in every profession. But one of the things that I think they allow the, the certain bad apples to ruin the whole group, but we need the police. We need that, that standing up for good. And, and some of the people who come here who we've, we've been praying for are men who have actually gone um, and actually made sacrifices in their personal lives to uphold the goodness of the things of God. And so we, 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 we shouldn't live in a time um, that these things, but as we talked about them here as brute beasts, um, 2 Peter 2.12 says, But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and they will utterly perish in their own corruption. And we see that this is speaking about judgment. Judgment will come upon these apostates. And this is what Jude is trying to point out to us, that they will, they will, reach, they will get into an area of judgment and they will be judged by God. And we're going to get into that a little more seriously here. And so verse 11, it says, Woe to them. And so this is a woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain, and have greedily and, and and run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. We see something here, and I haven't really mentioned it here, but one of the things that we see that Jude he he uh he gets into this um, series of putting things in three. We remember that it was that he had talked about that it was the children of Israel that betrayed. It was the angels, and it was Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he gets into this. Thing about threes and remember that it was mercy and he, he mentioned all these things in threes and so he gets into this point and so he listen he says woe to them he's talking about these apostates and he says they have gone in the way of Cain we're all familiar with a story in the Bible and it's from Genesis it's chapter 4 and, and it's just, I believe it's verses 1 through 15 and it speaks about Cain and Abel and we know the story of Cain and Abel remember that 
Cain was the one that brought a sacrifice to the Lord, and he brought the sacrifice that it was something that had brought fruit of his of the ground. He had brought the fruit of the ground, and this was the sacrifice that he brought to the Lord. And it was Abel who brought. He was the he was the one that tended over the sheep, and so he brought brought a blood sacrifice to the Lord. And this is what God had requested of. The sacrifice, and, and so this was a picture of Jesus' coming, and this is the reason why way back all the way in Genesis 4, we see that God was asking for a blood sacrifice from Cain and Abel, but we see that it was, it was uh, Cain who did not bring it. But we know that Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so this is what, it was, what happened there. And so it was the rejection, the apostate, they reject the blood sacrifice of Christ. And this is what it is pointing out, that they have gone in the way of Cain. That this is what it's pointing out, that they are rejecting these apostates. They reject the, the blood sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And so this is one thing that they're pointing out. Yeah. And it's a, Go ahead. Go ahead. I just wanted to, um, to add to that. It, it's, it's, the, it's the wolf in sheep's clothing, you know, that whole concept. And what's interesting to me about it is, is as believers, what we do... Most of the time is we're we're wooing people into the into fellowship with God. Yes. We we um, we season our speech with salt, right? We yes. don't. We're not going out. We're not hammering on them. That's right. We're loving on them. Love you know, them. And we're trying to show them a, a love of God. Yes. But when we encounter these situations, and they can be uh, an individual in the church that, you know, just. Is there for the wrong reason? It could be a person in leadership yes. in the church. Yes. You know, oftentimes it is. We've all seen that. You know? yeah. Oftentimes and, it is. And so at that point, the whole game plan changes. Yes. It's like that has to be stood as Matthew 18. Yes. You got to go to that brother or that yes. sister, and, you, and 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 there's there's a there's a specific way that you lay that out. Yes. And um, so yeah, it's interesting the contrast I think. You know, Chris, just by what you said there, I can see that the Holy Spirit is speaking tonight because, you know, the reference I have for this this verse is Matthew 7, 15. It says, beware of the, of the prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And so this is a scripture that you just talked about. And so we see that this is what they're talking about, these apostates that woe to them because these are the things that they've gone in the error of Cain. And we, just really quickly, the, the error of, of uh, Balaam. We all know the story of Balaam, and it's in Numbers in chapters 22 through 25. And it is an interesting story. I know that out of the story that oftentimes we remember that the donkey spoke to Balaam, right? Spoke to Balaam, right? His donkey spoke to him. And this is oftentimes, I love the way that pastors use this, that if, if God can speak through a donkey, then he can speak through any of us, right? If he can speak through a donkey, he can speak through any of us. But we all know the story of Balaam, that one of the things that, I thought it was interesting that Balaam, he was a prophet of God, but he was asked by the, by the head of the Moabites, he was asked to go and to curse the children of Israel because they felt that the children of Israel were getting too close to Moab, and so he wanted them to go before them and curse them. And so it's interesting that first that Balaam, since he was a prophet of God, he said no, he didn't want to go. But we see that this king, and, and many times the enemy the enemy knows exactly what it is that we desire. And so, <coughs> excuse me, one of the things that we see that he, the enemy he desired was wealth, money, greed. And this is what Balaam wanted. <coughs> so what he did is he actually, 
he uh, went ahead and, and said, I will, he didn't want to go, but he went to the Lord and he asked the Lord, Can, should I go and go with these men? They want me to curse the children of Israel. And the Lord said, you can go, but you only speak the words that I put in your mouth. And so we see that the Bible says clearly that we see that Balaam, he was prostituting the gifts that God had given him. I, I know it's kind of a crude story, but I, I think it goes well with tonight. Um, I heard a story about a man who one time went and he told a lady, he said, hey, if I gave you a million dollars, would you go with me? And, and she said, yes, I, I would, actually, I would abs absolutely go with you for a million dollars. A few minutes later, he, he spoke to the same woman again and he said, now would you go with me for two dollars? And she said, what, what do you think I am? Do you think that I am some kind of a prostitute that, that, that I would go with you for $2? And he said, well, you already said you would go for a million dollars. We already determined what you are. We just need to, we, I'm just trying to negotiate the price. And so we see that this is exactly what Balaam was doing here. Balaam was prostituting the things of God. He went and he didn't want to he didn't want to go with him but he the lure of the greed of the money and this is what these apostates this is the reason why they're involved in the things of God because it is the greed the lure of the money that they want to come and they want you to they want you to pay $25 for some prayer shawl that you send them in the mail and this will is going to heal heal you're going to put it on your wound it's going to heal you and these these people come and they they prostitute the things of God and they the gifts that they've been given and this is what they're telling them here in this verse that it very clearly that the that that this Balaam that this was, was his it was greed that he wanted and so this is what making a a reference here to these false these uh, apostates and so the last one <coughs> that he gives here is the, the, the story of Korah. And if you're not familiar with the story of Korah, this is an amazing story as well. It's in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 16. If you get an opportunity to read it, it's an amazing story. But what it is, is this man Korah, he was a Levite. And, and he, he saw Moses and Aaron, that they were running the church. They were doing all the things in the church. And so he decided himself and said, what, who put them in charge, right? He, he, he had a little bit of pride inside and he said, who put them in charge? Who put Moses and Aaron in charge? He said, hey, I'm a Levite as well. I can do what they've done. And so he went to Moses with his complaint and he said, hey, Moses, who, who put you in charge? I can do what you do. I can do exactly what you do. And so, and then Moses went to the Lord and the Lord said, he, he told Moses that to bring Korah and say, I will decide what will happen. And as the Lord came in this situation, what's interesting, I love about the story, and it's drawn out, I'm giving you the short version. Um, what I love about the story is that Moses, when he came down to Korah, he told Korah and his men, he said, get away. He said, he said, he told Moses, get away from Korah, get away from Korah. And what happened is that they say that the earth opened up and it swallowed Korah and his family and his two associates that were with him, it swallowed them up. And they were, and so the Lord said that, and so this is about those apostates, that they reject the authority that had been given to the, the to the church. And this is what these, um, these apostates, this is what they do. They reject the authority of the things of God. And so this is what the, is using here in these verses, the parallels of these men as it's talking about them. And, and this is how it's listing them here um, in verse 11. And so we get into verse 12 and it says, these are spots in your love feats. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, there are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. 
Now, this, just this verse alone, I could probably take 15 minutes on this verse alone, but I'll, I'll shorten it tonight. But one of the things that I thought was interesting that this word spots here, as we see the word spots, and, and it's referred to in 2 Peter 2.13, it's called spots and blemishes. It says they are spots and blemishes carousing in the daytime, and there are spots and blemishes um, complaining to all um, deception, to all deception, and it says, while they feast with you. And so these spots, as they call them here, spots and blemishes, as we consider them, I love in the original Greek, it can also be referred to as hidden rocks or hidden coral. Uh, and, and, I, and I love the way that the New Living Translation says that these spots are dangerous reefs that can sink uh, or can shipwreck a ship. And so this is what these false teachers are. These spots are, like you said, though, they're, they're, uh, they're uh, uh, rocks underneath. They, you retribute them to like in the ocean that there are rocks that are very shallow and that they that ships come and they can be wrecked by them because they don't see them. And this is what happens to these apostates as it's given a description of them that oftentimes that we don't see them, that on the surface they look just like the ocean, but as we get closer and closer, we will be shipwrecked by what is underneath. They will wreck our lives. And this is what it is talking about these shipwrecked here. When I talked about these love feasts, um, here in the Bible, uh, and, and we, we have love feasts today without knowing it, and if you don't know that, um, they called it in those days the agape or agapeo feast, and it was what we call today, it is potluck, what is where people would gather in the congregation that they would gather. Uh, and if you're familiar with it, they use a word, also you've heard it, uh, the word cornania that you've heard that they use as, as a potluck. And what's so interesting about that word is in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, small little tidbit, in chapter 2, they talked about that they were gathering as a church, as the new church, as the birth of the church, they were gathering to break bread together, and they said that they would have fellowship with one another. The word fellowship is the word in the original text. It is the word cornania. And which we get that these potlucks. And so these feasts, these love feasts they were having. And so these love feasts were to, supposed to bring the church and it was supposed to draw the church up. But these men were detracting from the church. And, and we see something here in it as well. It says serving only themselves. Um, I thought of the verse of Ezekiel 34 that shepherds are to feed the flock. But it says woe to the shepherd of Israel who feed themselves. And we see that this is what these apostates do. They feed themselves, that they oftentimes are thinking they don't care about the flock. They don't care about the congregation. These apostates are only, their lure is the money, is the greed, is to draw people. They want to be put on a pedestal. They want to be drawn up. And so this is the reason why the book of Jude is warning us of them. It is warning us to beware of these men, that we are to beware of them. In all areas, we are, and I love the way that it calls them that they are clouds without water. Remember that in the time of Israel, that they had all had crops, right? And they were all anticipating. So when they saw clouds coming their way, they said, "All right, Lord, they're gonna they're gonna water the crops, and the crops are gonna grow, and we're gonna be able to benefit from all of this." But they say that these apostates, that they are like clouds without water, because they come and they they look like the real pastor. They look. Like they have water, but they give nothing. They don't give anything. These apostates, they leave people dry. There is no there is no water in their clouds. And this is what he is referring to when he says there are clouds without water. California clouds. Yes, yeah, there are California clouds. I like that. Yes, there are California clouds. They bring no water. The other thing that it says is that they are trees without fruit. 
Uh, Matthew 7, 16 says that they are to be known by their fruits. And this is one of the things that the apostates in the false church, these people that led away, that we are there to be known by their fruit. And so the fruit is over a long period of time that we will see in people's lives, we will see them grow in the things of God. And so this is what this reference is, is speaking about here. And it says that they were twice dead, pulled up by the roots. But here in verse 13, it says, raging waves of sea foaming up in their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. When it refers to them here as raging waves of the sea, I'm always reminded of Isaiah 57 verses 20 and 21 that says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose water cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And this is the message to those apostates that there is no peace for the wicked and this is what uh, jude is trying to convey but this is what uh, the i love the descriptions that he uses that they are a foaming sea that they are raging waves and this is what he is speaking about them here but i love their last one here that he speaks about here that they are wandering stars i love that because we know that in those times the mariners they were people that were out sailing they remember that they used the stars to tell the direction where they would go. That was, their, that was their GPS out in the middle of the ocean. They would use the stars. And so it refers to these apostates as they are uh, wandering stars. So they, you cannot be grounded by them because your, your life will be all mixed up because if you set a navigational point against one of them, they are moving, not like the fixed stars of the sky that you can base your, your life on. And what I love about that and this comes, I just, I just love this when we see this in the word of God, that we see that Jesus Christ himself in Revelations 22, 16, it says, Jesus is the bright and morning star. And if we were to set our hearts and our lives on Jesus, and if we will set our GPS on Jesus Christ, we know his destination for each and every one of us is heaven. Heaven, if we will place our on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, if we will put, place our GPS on him, that this is his de destination, that he, his desire in his heart, that each and every one of us will seek those coordinates for him and that we will seek after him. And so I, I love this, that, that this coordinates that they use here, that they were, um, and it says here that these apostates of whom are reserved the blackness and darkness forever. I love last week as we were talking, as we talked about the darkness and these people that are going to go to um, that are going to go to these uh, the the, uh, the this darkness. This uh, we call it hell, right? Uh, I, I just I had a thought right now. A couple of months ago, six seven months ago, I was in a doctor's office at work, and he had a poster on his wall. And I know many of us have probably seen this poster before, but he said it had a poster on his wall, and it was big, and it was it was framed in glass. And he had it hanging on his wall. And he said, when I go, I want to go to hell because all of my friends are there. <laughs> and I, I know I've heard this and I know many of us have heard this. But what they don't understand is if they would actually get into the word of God and see what is reserved for the darkness. And, and I love the way we brought it up last week that it said that they will be in an eternal fire, but it will be blackness. There will be flames that give off no light. 
but they will be in this torment. The Bible talks about this torment, and there isn't going to be anyone that's going to want to be there. And and the, and the depiction of it of in the Bible that it speaks about that the man who went Lazarus, who went into this Sheol, and we talked about Abraham's bosom, but it is a picture that he said that there was weeping and gashing of the teeth. And remember that he wanted the beggar who dug in the trash, who dug at the scraps of the table, he wanted him to come with a drop of water and to put it on his tongue because he was in torment. There isn't going to be anybody that's going to be in hell and it's going to be, oh, we're having a party here. There's going to be no party. So don't believe the lie of the enemy. There, there is, and this is for the message for the people that are, are watching online, a message for us here tonight. And so here in verse 14, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesies about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints. Now this man Enoch, we're very familiar with him, uh, he is uh, one of only two of people in the Bible, and it says that he was the seventh from, and, and as we get in, as we push forward into the book of Revelation, seven, is, we know, is the number of completeness, and it is going to become a very dominant number as we get into the book of Revelations. We're going to have the seven um, gold, uh, the, uh, bold judgments, we're going to have the seven uh, the churches, we're, we're going to have a lot of sevens as we get into the book of Revelation. But anyway, here, this would mean something to them, that they're, he is the seventh, we see that Enoch, he was the one, the Bible says there in Genesis 5, that it says that he was the one that walked with God. And I love the way that Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, I got this from Pastor Ed. He said that he believed that when he was walking with Enoch, that, that, that finally he walked with Enoch for such a long time, that finally the Lord said, you know what? We're closer to my house than we are to yours. Why don't you just come home with me? And the Lord took him, and we see that Enoch, he never died. The Bible said he never died. He went, and he was went to be with the Lord in uh, heaven. He went to be with the Lord. But this Enoch, as they speak about him here, um, that says here that, that, he, that he was the seventh, that he prophesies about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000. I love this here because it speaks of Jesus' second coming. It says here, it says, Behold, the Lord comes. So it is another promise of God that he will return. And we see that there very clearly. With his 10,000s of his saints, Deuteronomy 32 or 33, 2 says, And he came with 10,000 of the saints, and he prophesied about these. And so we see that the prophecy had been laid out that this Enoch, um, what I wanted to share with you tonight, that a lot of people, and, and I know many of you, like sometimes you think maybe I go a little bit too in-depth, but I wanted to share this with you tonight, that a lot of people think that this book, this, as he mentions here, Enoch, that it speaks about that he comes with these 10,000, I've never read the book of Enoch, and, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about the book of Enoch. It is not in our canon. It is not in our canon Bible, um, but it is part of the, they call the Apocrypha books. And this was the books that were written in the, in, they call it the silent time, that between the books, of the, the, the time of Malachi and the time of Matthew. And we don't consider them as the inspired word of God. But, but the book, so somebody had said that some of the commentators believe that this maybe possibly might be a reference to the book of Enoch. And there is a, a verse in there, is verse, or chapter 1, verse 9, that they think maybe possibly that this might have a, a reference to that. And because of that, they're saying that maybe possibly that here, that uh, Jude is saying that, that the apocrypha books were, were accepted inspired word of God. And this is not exactly, this is not what the verse is saying at all. But I just wanted to share that with you. Too, so that way, food for thought in your minds, you'd be thinking about this if later on you hear about this. But uh, yes, I don't believe that it comes from the book of Enoch. And so here in verse 15, it says, To execute judgment 
on all who convict and all who are ungodly among them and all of their ungodly deeds which they have uh, committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so we see that this is clearly speaking about judgment. And, and I love this when it points it out as we talked about earlier about um, the place that they will go. It says to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. And, and we see very clearly that we see Jude wants us to see the picture here very clearly because he mentions ungodly four times in one verse. And he wants us to see that there will be judgment for the ungodly. There will be judgment for the ungodly. And he wants these apostates to know that. That I know that many of us go around in life and we see people who are not walking in the ways of God. And remember that God's heart, that none would perish, that all would come to repentance. That I know many times in our lives we see people and we say, man, why, why, why does the Lord allow them to live in, in ungodliness? Why does the Lord allow to live in ungodliness? But we need to understand that the heart of God is that... No man would be left, and he doesn't, that his heart, that none would perish, and that's his heart. And I think that there was a time that people might have looked at me that way. They might have looked at me like, oh, this, this guy, Mike, he's so lost. Why don't you, why don't you just come, and, and why, don't, why don't he be judged? But the Lord's heart is not to judge us. He wants to, that we would all be with the Lord in heaven. This is his desire. This is who God is. This is his heart. Go ahead, Chris. I think, I think this, this, is a distinctively different kind of judgment that we usually think about. Only one person is qualified, the, the Bible's clear about it, to judge anyone, and it's Jesus Christ. Yes. Because he paid the price yes. for our sins, he went to the cross. Yes. But we, but we, it's more like we are to exercise judgment about an individual, uh, perhaps who's in a habitual sin, you know, mm -hmm. but then walks, walks back in the church on Sunday, and it's, it's like, during the week we live like hell, and one day a week, it's, it's different. Well, well, those people, we still should love them and try to, to bring them back into the faith, or maybe they never were in the faith. We don't know. Yeah. But um, it, it isn't that we, we, we don't wish that they would leave and go to hell, but sometimes we have to do the really tough stuff. You know, we have to, have to say, look, you know, Stephanie, you're welcome here, but you're, you're not a leadership, and you can't say those things. If, if there are things, you know, where, where most things, you have to confront that. You know, like Michael, you have to contend for our faith. Yes, <clears throat> yes. And, uh, yeah. Firmly. <laughs> yeah, to kind of expand on that a little bit, Chris, it's important for all of us to care for and love our fellow mankind. Yes. Okay? Because yeah. I did this a lot in the counseling uh, around that because people would, would say to me, you know, uh, do you care for me? Or do you, you know, or, or should I, I love or care for somebody? And the answer is, of course, but you have to run a careful distinction between the person and their behavior. Yes. And so that makes that easier. You yes. can say, I really dislike what you're doing yes. and what you've done. Yes. And I'm going to stand on that as a principle that, that I cannot accept. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes, absolutely, Gil. Absolutely. And, and this is where we get, you know, that we are to, to love the sinner and hate the sin. This right. is we love the sinner, right? Hate the exactly. sin. And this is exactly what you're talking about tonight. And, and as you talk about judgment, you know, I, I wanted to make clearly that, yes, as the verse is talking about, it is talking clearly of God's judgment for man, for the ungodly men who walk away from the things of God. But he is the ultimate judge because he knows what, what actually what each and every one of us have done. 
Because I think that many of us, as you talked about, Chris, I think many of us, as you talk about people that come and they're habitually in sin, there's people that you will, that we come into the church or come into, that we go to work with, and, and we might look at them and we might think like, wow, these are some godly men. But that's what Pastor Ed said, the biggest surprises are going to be in heaven is that people that we thought were going to be in heaven are not going to be there. The people that, you know, and so it, it, it's, it's one of those things that we, we cannot be the judge. Go ahead. Yeah, I've heard this thought in a, in a and I struggle with this constantly because I don't have a way to come up with a, a way to deal with this. So mm -hmm. People will say, well, I don't go to church anymore because of the hypocrisy mm -hmm. that I see around me. Yes. yes. And at this point, I don't have a, a good comeback to move that forward. Yes. Well, maybe I'll, I'll share one with you that I heard uh, years ago. I heard years ago, you know, that I know that men will always mislead us. Man, if we were, if we were following men, men will always mislead us. Okay. But Jesus, his word says that we would follow him. Okay. That, not to follow man, to follow him. And so if we come into the church, hypocrisy is always going to be in the church. And, and one of the things that I love about it, another uh, commentator shared that he says that I know many of people go around church hopping and they're looking for that perfect church. And they say that if you find that perfect church, they say, don't join it because you'll mess it up. <laughs> don't join it because you'll mess it up. Don't, don't look for that perfect church. Don't look for it. But very lastly here in verse 15, um, it comes from John 5.24. And as we speak about judgment, they were speaking about judgment for the ungodly. But John 5.24 says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. You see, Jesus Christ, as we have accepted Christ, that he has taken our penalty on the cross. And so judgment <coughs> for the believer is, is not going to be like the judgment for the ungodly. Judgment is going to be, and, and, and Pastor Ed speaks about this all the time, and it's going to be, the judgment is going to be for the gifts that we are given. And, and, and I know many of us, we think about so, you know, what, what kind of gifts we're going to be, but God will be the one. But he's ultimately the judge of each and every one of us, and we will stand before him. But our judgment will be a lot different than the people that live, um, like he's talked about, habitually or live in sin outside of the things of God. And so here, last verse, and it says, 16, it says, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. And as I saw this verse... Um, Tonight, or a couple nights ago, as I was studying this, one of the things I wanted to share with you that I know that have you, any of us ever had those days that nothing seems to go right? I was having a, a couple of weeks ago, I was having one of those days I get to work and forgot this and forgot my tools and I left, went home and I took my saw off and I took it inside the house and I said, don't forget it, Mike. And I went to work and I forgot it and all these things were just going around and I started to complain. I started to grumble and then it's interesting that that night I came home, I started studying and I said, wow, I'm right here in the Bible, right here. Look at this grumbler and complainer. This is me right here that I'm com you know, complaining about the things that are going on in my life. But one of the things that we talk about these grumblers, these apostates, these people that are grumblers, but of course that people who don't know God are going to be grumblers and complainers because they don't have anything. Their, their lives are empty without the things of God. And, and, and I know, and this is the reason why I, I lived that life. I was trying to fill up my life with the things of the world, thinking that those things were going to bring pleasure. Those things, some of them brought temporary pleasure. But they didn't bring, they, they never filled me. And I, and I think that we can look on the news and we can see people that are millionaires. People that are, they got more money than they know what to do with, but they feel empty. Every day. Every day because they don't know Christ. They don't know Christ. And we talked about that all the time, that it is Christ. 
that he has placed, I love that, that picture, that he has placed an, in, uh, an impression in our hearts that only he can feel, that his, Jesus Christ feels it, and then we feel that we will feel by the things of God. And so as, as we think about these things, and the last thing is that they are flattering uh, people to gain advantage, that we see that these apostates, they love the praises of men more than the praises of God. They look for the praises of men, and this is the reason why they are always on TV and they're always trying to be filled in these apostates. And so Jude very clearly here is trying to tell us to beware of these apostates. I'll close tonight with a story, short story tonight, and the story is, and it comes from 1 Peter 2.2, and it tells us that, um, his 2 Peter 2.2 says, that uh, tells us to long for the pure, uh, pure milk of the word uh, pure means uh, undiluted. And so a lot of us, we, we, we want the pure word of God, but we mix it up with so many other things. Many of us, if we go to a, a county fair and you have a desire to have uh, an apple, a lot of times they offer a candied apple. You can have a caramel apple, and they even have apples today in the, in the carnivals that you can get with a sugar apple. And one of the things that's so interesting that there is a, a tremendous amount of nutritional value in an apple, but once you start mixing it with the candy part or you start mixing it with the caramel, you take the nutritional value out of it, the sugar. And this is exactly what happens in the Word of God, that we desire the pure Word of God, but when we mix it with the opinions of men is when it gets, it is not no longer pure anymore. We should desire the pure word of God and seek the things of God in his word. And he will do a, a, a work in each and every one of our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Father God, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you for speaking into our hearts, Father. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to have a place, Father, to gather. Um, Lord, we, we ask, Lord, as we look ahead to the week, Father, we look that you would... Uh, would you create a path in each and every one of our lives, Father, that we would be able to see what it is that you have laid out before us, Father. We thank you ahead of time, Father. We love you, Lord, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.